0: Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. This episode is brought to you by our show sponsor, Organify. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response. Like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organify powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water, and if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Ackermansia. Ackermansia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromancia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies, they'll eat anything, and then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So, the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy, and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving, and most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar, and I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. And then also BioCult. They're my probiotic of choice. It's a really broad spectrum probiotic meaning it has lots of different strains. That's typically what I recommend as like a daily probiotic. Um really good price point. So you get it's a good value for the product. It's a good price point. It's like around 30 bucks. Uh the boosted is my favorite just because it's more potent than their regular. So you can check them out biocult. And of course our discount codes which you can find in the show notes. I'll make sure to get those in in there for you Uh, does save you some monies. Hello, friends. Today, I have Natasha Ash on the show. She is a naturopathic medical student who's also studying nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. She has a passion for sustainable health and wellness practices and believes that you shouldn't have to go to medical school to understand the basics of the human body. That is partly why she created her Instagram health page, natural underscore natasha. She's also a genetics and biochemistry junkie. She previously earned her BA in pre-law and is currently working to merge her passions of health and law together. I found Natasha on Instagram probably a couple of years ago. I've been following her for a while. Love her content, which is why I wanted to bring her onto the show and have like a a real world conversation. It was so fun to connect. You know, after you've connected with somebody on an app for a long time, it's nice to actually sit down and have a conversation. So we kind of. I feel like we like talk shop a little bit, but we got down to the nitty gritty. One thing Natasha does so well is kind of um, unpack. I, I feel like she really has her finger on the pulse of trends and fads that are going on around in on Instagram and TikTok especially. Um, it was, it's in- interesting towards the end, we kind of talk about the um, the different things that we see in here in our own pockets of the internet. She does spend more time on TikTok. I don't spend any time right now. Gonna change that after this conversation. Um, so she sees different trends there and can speak the things that I'm not seeing. But we're going to get into three specific things, parasites, parasite cleansing, Food combining and alkaline diets. That's what we're really honing in on on this show. And between the two of us, we've tried everything, all the fads. And we're two girls who are talking about this, knowing that we've experimented with a lot of stuff. So we get it. But we're also two girls who know the research and we've worked with actual human bodies. And what we want you to walk away from this conversation with is three three takeaway messages. One is that your body is not something that needs to be perpetually purged. Two, your body is resilient, and three, be mindful of who you are getting your health information from. So with that said, here's the convo. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here and like see you in real life after connecting on Instagram for a while. Yeah. Um I wanted to bring you onto the show because I love the content that you create, um, as a naturopathic medical student, you provide a lot of really informative, you, you create a lot of informative posts, but you do it in a very entertaining way. I know that's like not always easy to do. I think I gravitate to your, your stuff so much because like, I can hear you talking when you write, you know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah.
0: One of your posts was, you said, rotate your greens, spinach and kale got y'all in a chokehold. <laughs> yeah, It's like, you know, you, you, it's like such good information, but it's such entertainment too. But I especially love that you really kind of go after different trends that we might see on the internet or on social media, like health trends. And you kind of bust it apart or like, I don't want to say you go after it, like to try to disprove it, but you bring a lot of evidence-based research yeah. to the table to be like, is there really validity or is this kind of a baseless fad that we shouldn't be paying much attention to? Right. So we're gonna get into that today. I'm super curious though, because you have your undergrad in pre-law. So when mm-hmm. like, what made you switch into medicine?
1: So i I didn't like really switch pre law and health are something that I want to combine together. But since law school is like super short and medical school is like five years, especially the program that I'm in, it was going to take a lot longer to get through the medical program. And I actually felt like I had more of a calling towards medicine at that time when I graduated. I graduated from undergrad early. So I did undergrad in three years and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into law school and that clearly wasn't the plan. I ended up going into a naturopathic medical school, moving to Illinois first, and then I transferred to Arizona to SCNM. And then um, beyond just trying to still figure out what I wanted to do at law, I'm like, okay, well maybe I will go to law school after medical school. But I started getting into other things related to law, trying to combine and merge health and law together. So I still want to um, hold on to that aspect, but I felt like at the place in my life, when I was dealing with a lot of health issues, it was more important for me to go into a program that could help me learn more about myself at that time. So that's why I went into health first on medical school.
0: Uh, Yeah. I feel like so many people that end up in like the alternative, if you want to call it that alternative health space, get there because they're like, "Uh, my health is falling apart and I have no answers. So I have to figure this out for myself. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we're really going to spend some time talking about food combining today. Um, Before we get into that, I want to start with talking a little bit about parasites and worms, just because you did a recent post on this specifically about rope worms and you're, you're, (laughs) you're asking like, are you really passing rope worms or are you passing damaged intestinal lining? There's (laughs) such an uptick over the past, I would say like one, probably two years of people like really talking about parasites on. And they're like, parasites are at the root of all of your health problems. And I'm starting to get so many questions about it that I I know, like, it's kind of like caught on to the, like the zeitgeist a little bit is like, oh, we got to be mindful of parasites. And so now we have like, you know, people all over the internet, like pooping Mm -hmm. out worms. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. and my, I'm like this, I've I've always been really suspicious of that because I do a lot of stool testing in my practice. And like, yes, sometimes I see parasites and worms and sometimes and are oftentimes I don't. Um, and we know that there are some, we, we have some symbiotic relationship with the things that are living within and on us. And so like, is it really a great idea to just like kind of go in and try to just like kill off all of these things? And if we think we're like taking all these supplements to get rid of worms, like are we actually pooping out worms? So right. I'm gonna lob that over to you to hear
1: your thoughts <laughs> on this. You know, the parasite trend, cleansing trend actually took its like huge breakout through TikTok for these last couple of months. I don't know if you've been seeing TikTok, but you know, they have people on there telling people to take a a spoonful of papaya seeds. And one girl landed in the hospital from taking too many papaya seeds. And um, she found blood in her stool after taking papaya seeds for like three days. And we haven't heard from her since. So we're like, you know, what's going on? Um, You have other people saying they're throwing up at the papaya seeds. And most of it is due to people taking advice from people who are still learning themselves. And I think that's the thing with parasite cleanses or any cleanse in general, you mostly have people like us that are curious at one point that wanted to know, okay, if these things are really inside my body, how can I do this naturally? And so now you have these people online you know, pushing, okay, do papaya seeds, make this concoction and get rid of it. Other countries have been deworming their kids since, you know, they were babies. So why don't we do it in the U.S.? Because they want to keep us sick. But I also think that there's more so a protocol to these things. And I'm sure that you know, like, of course, you need to test to see if you actually have parasites in your body. But then you also have this people saying, well, everybody has parasites. You know, you can't evade them. Everybody has to get rid of them. If you live in the US, you have them. So now everybody wants to get rid of parasites. But at the same time, most people don't realize they're creating these imaginary things that, that, are, that they're passing. Like I've seen so many pictures that clearly look like mucus. It looks like mucus, They're you know, like I passed a worm. And I'm like, well, what kind of worm would you pass? Well, I don't know, because you know we can name every other parasite that we come in contact with. Rope what rope worms were not on that category. We know what liver flukes fukes are. We know what pinworms are. We know what roundworms are. But when you look up what a rope worm is, the the domain name is not even listed. Like it's it, it doesn't exist. So I don't know. You know with the whole mucoid plaque and the rope worms and everything else that's coming out, you know, I'm not sure how to get across to people that you're not actually passing a a parasite, a worm, especially that big. Well, and a lot
0: of people I've heard this before and I've even done this myself. Like I was like convinced I had a, I had worms in my stool, but it can sometimes just be like food or like, uh, like fiber, you know, like fiber, yeah. a fibrous material that might look like a worm. So just because you seem like a worm-like substance doesn't actually mean it's a worm, yeah. number one. But can you talk about what the, you said mucoid plaque for, for people that might not know that term?
1: Yeah. So a long time ago, um, Richard Anderson, he was a naturopath, He came up with the idea of a mucoid plaque being in everyone's intestines and saying that You know, this is what's causing people to not absorb their vitamins and minerals very well. So you have to get this mucoid plaque out. So if you go on the internet, you're going to see these big, globby, black, ropey structures that people are passing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I passed my mucoid plaque. I passed my mucoid plaque. And, you know, it even caught me back in the day. You know, I was going to do the cleanse. (laughs) I started looking at the ingredients and I'm like, okay, bentonite clay, psyllium husk, activated charcoal. Sometimes you can add chia seeds. Sometimes they add lemon juice. And then I started mixing it up. And I'm like, if you don't drink this fast enough, it actually turn, it solidifies because the psyllium husk is going to absorb the water and become three times its weight. And then you leave it there for a minute. And I showed it in the video that I just did. It turns exactly like the structure that people are passing however it becomes like long and ropey because it's going through the intestines so now everyone's like okay you know mucus is the cause of all disease we all have a mucoid plaque we have to get rid of this mucoid plaque here's the cleanse to do it so you know everybody do it so now everybody's doing this mucoid plaque because everyone thinks they're walking around with some big glob of mucus sitting in their intestines
0: I mean this I mean this might be why I'm not on the TikTok yet because I don't know I think I might lose my damn mind if I see this. You would. <laughs> you but you also said that when rope worms were te- I mean you didn't say this you were citing literature when rope yeah. worms were tested for DNA only human DNA was found.
1: Yeah. So are we so- passing
0: pieces of our intestines or are we passing worms?
1: Exactly. And what's even more interesting about the whole work, well, I can't even say it half the time, rogue worm theory is that the two um, people that came up and wrote the article, they even cited an article themselves. They're like, well, we don't even know if this is a worm because when people pass it, the head is chopped off and <laughs> most <laughs> and most parasites come out with their heads intact. And then they were like, and then when we're trying to test it, it's often confused with mucus. So we don't know what we're testing. And if people took the time to actually read the life cycle of the rope worm that these two people wrote, they would realize that this thing doesn't even exist because they start off and they say the rope worm lives its entire life in the human body. And then it just grows and grows and grows. If that was the case, why don't we see this more clinically? You know, if something's living its entire life inside of the human body and causing diseases, we would see these things a lot more clinically. So when they did test the rope worm, they found that it was literally 99% human DNA, which means that you're not passing a worm, you're passing parts of your own body. You know, this could be undigested mucus, it could be undigested food, all of it just coming together, you're passing it. You're not passing a worm. And I think
0: you, I think you, you really like hit on something when you said this obsession with, um, like cleansing or, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's like, it's like an obsession with cleanliness, almost like we feel like inherently, like our bodies are like dirty. We have to like rid ourselves of these things. And I just don't know if that's like a healthy attitude to really bring when we're thinking about our bodies.
1: To me, it contributes to orthorexia. Like so many people are so obsessed with being clean and they are creating imaginary diseases and imaginary things because they want to be as healthy as they can be. But there's illness and trying to be so healthy. You know, orthorexia is not healthy. And most of the time people go into these cleanses and they have no idea what they're actually cleansing out most of the time people go in and they don't have any baseline idea of, you know, where their body stands. They're just blindly doing these things and that's not healthy.
0: And I think there's like a middle ground here from what you're saying in this obsession with like cleansing, 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 cleaning, cleaning. And then the sort of conventional idea of like, you don't need to worry about detoxification. You've got a liver, you've got kidneys, you good right? And yeah. there's like, there's a middle ground.
1: There is a middle ground because we still have to support our detoxification organs. It's not like something that we just, oh yeah, I have a liver It detoxes. Okay. I'm just still going to damage it. You know, we still have to be mindful of that and still support these organs, but there's beauty in understanding this balance that you're saying. It's You shouldn't have to fear that you're going to have to cleanse your body every second of the day. Like even in one of these latest threads, I saw this young lady saying, I have to deworm my entire life. I got generations of parasites in me. And and this kind of misinformation is (laughs) fear-mongering. It's like, if you don't need a, a parasite protocol, why are you doing it every day?
0: That is, yeah. That, I mean, I think that just really does more harm than good physically and yeah. mentally. Um, but I, it really reminds me of back in the day, like my raw food vegan days back in like, I you know. Too. You that, too, <laughs> There was this, um, and I was like all in, this is probably mm-hmm. my, I would say like my mid twenties, early twenties maybe. And um, there was this uh, website called 30 bananas a day. And like, I was like big into like fruitarian at one point. And I just like yeah. bought into it. And this, I also had it like a raging eating disorder at this point. So this was a, yeah. I think this was just one way to be like, well, other people are doing these really disordered behaviors and calling it health. So I can hitch my wagon to that and not have to like self-identify that I actually yeah. have a, a real problem. But I remember like trying to eat nothing but 30 bananas a day and like thinking wow. that anything outside of that was unhealthy or, um, there was like a big, like fruititarian. So like you would only eat fruit. You wouldn't be able to eat fat. It was like all fruit. And I would felt dirty if I was doing anything other than that. Cause I had to be like constantly cleansing my body. And I just look back and I just, Oh, I feel like so sad for myself because it was such a, like, you have no life. If all you're eating is fruit you're not living a life. Um, but that kind of brings me because <laughs> brings me to the food combining conversation because I remember reading, um, you know, I was into dieting, like since like eighth grade, I remember in high school reading a Suzanne Summers diet book and, yeah. Uh, and she was talking about food combining. And that was like the first time it was introduced to me. This concept was introduced to me. And she was like, you have to eat fruit alone. And I'm like, I never stopped to be like, why am I taking advice from Suzanne Summers? I never once said, I think of that. I'm just like, "Oh, a new diet. Cool. But cool. you had to eat fruit alone. And it had to be 20 minutes before all of the meals. And then once I did, once I got back into the raw food world it w- i i found those same like premises of food come combining come back and I, honestly i have not heard about it since then um until i started seeing you talk about it a lot and i'm like if she's talking about it people must be it's like back. you <laughs> back. It's back with a vengeance. And then I had somebody ask me a question about it in my latest like nutrition program. So I'm like, okay, we need to address this like once and for all. So let's, let's dive into that. Um, do you want to just kind of like cue people up in case they haven't heard of this concept of food combining? Like what's it even all about?
1: Yeah. So yes, for sure. Food combining is back. (laughs) Everybody's talking about it. And Originally, when it first came out, because I actually did food combining like a very long time ago, I was in a crazy state. <laughs> it was only about fruits. And so you can look up any chart and they probably updated it now. But originally, it was just about fruits. You have to eat melons on an empty stomach, or you can't combine sweet fruits with acidic fruits. And then they had this category of subacidic fruits. And that just gets real too confusing. So the concept behind food combining is that. If you eat certain macromolecules together, it will cause distress in the digestive system. Some food will ferment in the body or rot in the body if you combine them incorrectly. And this is what will cause the gas, the bloating, the burping, the indigestion, the uncomfortable feeling. So all of those symptoms, is what people think happens when you improperly combine food. So they came up with these tables and they're like, well, let's say people shouldn't eat carbs and protein together. Let's say that people shouldn't eat fruits with anything else, not even leafy greens. Let's say that people shouldn't eat fat and protein together because they have different, Basis for where they need to get broken down. So now you're getting into the concept of acid and alkaline balance for be for foods being broken down. So now it's back, and I see videos all over the place, and they're like, you can't combine spinach with the apple. You can't combine grapes with a peach. And and you wonder why you have so much indigestion because you're in, you're combining your food improperly. And I'm like, this has no merit. And when you ask these people, you know, what is this based off of? They don't want to give you any actual sources because there is none. Now, Ayurvedic medicine, which is one of our oldest forms of medicine, there were food combining principles in Ayurvedic medicine, but it more so dealt with things like milk and teas, like not drinking like dairy with teas because it inhibited some of the tannins in the teas or some of the phytonutrients in the teas, but it was never like this deep concept of combining certain macromolecules together.
0: So macromolecules, macronutrients, fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. And the theory is essentially like they can't be digested at the same time. They have different, like, uh, they're like different times
1: of yeah. digestion.
0: So we don't want to combine them because it will like food will like rot in the stomach, which yeah. is kind of like pulling on that thread of like, you're dirty. You need to be cleansed. You, you sicko, like there's sick things yeah. in the body, get it, out. get it out. Well, is so is that true? Like, is our digestive tract like that, um, sensitive that we have to like be super mindful of like what, what macronutrient we're putting in our digestive tract at this, at what time?
1: i think this can be true for some people and that's a very 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 small amount of people for people who already have gastrointestinal issues but at the base of biochemistry that is not true you know when we eat foods and when we eat carbohydrates we start breaking them down immediately in our mouth because that's where amylase is stored that's the enzyme that breaks down our carbohydrates and the carbohydrates do work best when they're broken down in a more alkaline environment, which is why the body is so unique in the way it's set up. We start breaking down carbohydrates in the mouth, and then they're finished breaking down in the small intestines in a more alkaline environment. Whereas protein requires pepsin, and we're going to break that down once we get into the stomach. And so, what I hear a lot is that people think that digestion is a one way pathway. It's like, if you go here, here's a traffic signal. It's a red light carbs have to wait their turn. Fats have to wait their turn. You know, you're waiting in line for protein to get finished digesting, And that's just not how the body works.
0: It's like when you really break it down and just like, think about it from like a logical perspective, like we probably wouldn't have made it very far.
1: No, if we,
0: if it was that, you know, if it was that, like, I don't know, sensitive, I guess. Sensitive,
1: yeah. We will all be walking around with gut issues. Well, you I mean,
0: th- something you said before was that sometimes people are confusing like signs of poor gut health with improper food combining. They're like, "Oh, <laughs> I have the bloating. So it's, I didn't like appropriately combine my food. And it's like, yeah. maybe you have the bloating because you have significant dysbiosis. Exactly, And do you you think that that's something that people just maybe are not aware of?
1: I think so. I think a lot of when I hear that people complain about the symptoms of quote unquote improper food combining, it aligns very well with people who have poor digestion in general or poor gut health. You're like, you know, I'm always bloated after eating. And I'm like, do you think improperly combining your foods really going to cause you to bloat after every single meal. And oftentimes people ignore bloating, which can be really, really, really serious diseases. Or they're like, oh, you know, I really have gas after I eat. And I'm like, after every meal, you have gas. Come on now. (laughs) That's not, that is a sign that there's some type of dysbiosis. Because remember, your gut bacteria is the one that's breaking down all this food and as a, as a byproduct, you're going to get gas. But should you always have gas after every meal? No. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, I got this indigestion. And I'm like, oh, mm, that don't sound right. <laughs> so most of the time they've been convinced that they've been improperly combining their food. So it's so much easier for them to just go with the flow and be like, yeah, let me stop improperly combining my food. And I feel like the reason why a lot of the times these diets work for people is because it is simplicity and you're giving your body a break to understand what's going on. And sometimes that's what people need. It's not necessarily that you were improperly combining your food. It's just that you probably were eating too much or you have a disrupted gut bacteria, dysbiosis, or you have gut issues. And most people do, they just don't know it.
0: Let's talk about our latest sponsor, Dry Farm Wines. This is truly a vision board partner. I've wanted to partner with them for a while now, as I've personally had a Dry Farm Wine subscription for years. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting wine is a health food, but joy certainly is. And personally, for me, there's just something about cooking a healthy meal with some music and my family and having a glass of wine. It's just honestly, it's one of my favorite experiences. But unfortunately, I started to react really harshly to wine a few years back. I literally remember crying to a friend um, because I'm like, I just do so much for my health. I don't want to have to give up an occasional glass of wine, something that I really enjoy. Now we talk a lot on this show about processed foods, but what I actually did not know and didn't understand at the time is that wine can be extremely processed as well, which is why it can make you feel like trash even when you're only drinking a glass or two. There are 76 additives that are legally approved for use in winemaking. So this include dyes, thickeners, and GMO yeast. And so many of my clients have yeast uh, allergies and yeast sensitivity. So it makes sense that wine makes us feel not so great. And the top 20 wines sold in the U.S., contain high levels of sugar. And we know that sugar can make us feel not so great. So I actually found out about Dry Farm Wines on a podcast a few years back, and I was stoked because they use, um, it's organically, biodynamically grown, it's sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers, all of whom make their wine by hand, and supporting these family vineyards really helps to preserve the healthy soil, the biodiversity, and support natural farming Practices. So if you're like me and you want to have some wine without feeling horrible, check out Dry Farm Wines for Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners. They are offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. They can't give it away for free because it's alcohol. So make sure you head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash funk to sign up for your first box. You get free shipping delivered straight to your door, and I hope you enjoy. With the state of the world over the past couple of years, so many of my clients and listeners have told me that their sleep has really been impacted. So I feel I'd be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't introduce you to our sponsor, Ned, because they have a solution for you. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer and his family in Colorado. Now Ned's co-founder and I sat down and had a really lovely conversation about sourcing and farming practices and how they chose their farm. And this company is the real deal. I've been using these products for a while now with incredible results. So Ned's best selling sleep blend offers a natural solution for a good night's sleep. It contains CBN, which is a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep. It has seven 150 milligrams of CBD. And it also has uh, organic and wildcrafted botanicals. You all know that I love Nervine herbs. So it has oat straw, lemon balm, passion passionflower, skullcap. These are herbs that help to relax the body and promote sleep. If you need help unwinding at night, I highly recommend purchasing the Dream Set because it also contains Mellow, which is their awesome magnesium blend that features GABA and L-theanine. This is a non negotiable in my nighttime routine lately. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's dream set, functional nutrition podcast listeners get 15% off with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Yeah. I mean, I see that so commonly as, you know, whether it's like, um, you know, low stomach acid or low pancreatic enzymes, you know, and that's going to contribute to indigestion. That's going to contribute to like feeling like food sits like a brick or bloating or just uncomfortable, like food is like sitting in your gut. If you don't have the appropriate, um, like, you know, gastric juices essentially to break those things down. And I see that, I mean, because like we can see evidence of that on lab tests, like I see that that's happening very commonly. And I just, I feel like we, I, I, this idea of like improperly doing something it creates so much stress and resistance in our brain when it comes to food and people are already stressed out about the right way to eat. So to add all like this, all these other layers of rules, it's like, that's chaos.
1: It's chaos. It's more barriers. And you notice people are tired. Like they're like, it's something new every single day. And so a lot of people have actually appreciated that I've, you know, when to start breaking down the myths of food combining and all the other myths in the, the holistic health community because I've done every single one of them. <laughs> like when I first stepped into this, when I first like got my mind together and I'm like, oh my gosh, the guys is trying to kill us. You know, let me get, let me just get, get it together. I did everything the alkaline diet, the alkaline water, the food combining, the detoxes, the cleanses. And food combining was something that I was actually super passionate about, even though it really didn't work for me. Like now that I'm thinking about it, thinking back on it, I'm like, what did it do for me? I didn't really have any issues with combining fat with protein or carbs with protein or eating my fruits with leafy greens. In fact, that's something that we should encourage is eating fruits with dark leafy greens because the sugar in the fruits. And so I don't think that's something that a lot of people take into account is that we, when we do eat fruits, yeah, half the time we're juicing them or making smoothies out of them or we're taking the fiber out of them that we can't blunt this sugar absorption and we need to add leafy greens in there. And so it's just blanket advice all around the corner and it's stressful.
0: It's so stressful. I mean, I was thinking back to, I I would like eat a, like a full watermelon in a sitting because like, that's what I was like supposed to do. And looking back, I'm like, God, no wonder why I was like always hungry. That would lead to like binging. And then for me, subsequent purging. And it's like, well, if I just ate like a meal with like an appropriate macronutrient balance, like, you know, that would have like regulated my blood sugar, stabilized my mood and just not left me like wanting for more and wanting for more nutrients, really. Exactly. So the alkaline thing, you've touched upon that a couple of times. I would love to hear Cause this is something that I, I feel like I hear a fair amount questions about like acid alkaline. So I would love to hear your thoughts on all of that.
1: Yeah. Ooh boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have some big feelings about it, but I would love to hear yours.
1: Yeah. The alkaline diet is not even just the alkaline diet anymore. It's apparently the alkaline skincare, the alkaline hair care, the alkaline uh, shower washes. Everything has become an alkaline trend and it's crazy. So, you know, I did the alkaline diet back in the day and, you know. I don't know if I really got any benefit of it because I was already eating like a lot of fruits and vegetables. And the whole premise behind the alkaline diet was, okay. if someone's sick, it's because their blood pH is very acidic um, and they're eating too many acids. So the way you deal with this is to change the blood pH and to get rid of the acids and bring the body back up to alkalinity which if you've taken a biochemistry course, you know, that's not possible. You know, your blood pH sits at a 7.45 can teeter off to a 7.5 and it does not want to be alkaline. It does not want to be acidic. And so when the alkaline diet came out there, people were like, yeah, we're curing cancers with changing the blood to be an alkaline. We're getting rid of diabetes. I'm like, do you understand what diabetes is? Like, <laughs> has nothing to do with the body being acid or alkaline. And so, when I did it, I looked at the list and I started buying according to the list. And it was very, very, very restrictive. It was actually one of the hardest diets. Can you to kind do. of?
0: Can you break that down for somebody who's not familiar? Like, what would be on an alkaline? What would be like allowed and disallowed on an alkaline diet?
1: Yeah, so on the alkaline diet, which the one that I used was from Saveys List, it actually didn't include any quote unquote hybrid fru- hybrid fruits or vegetables either. So you were looking at the real term tomatoes, so heirloom tomatoes, um, eggplants. I believe mushrooms were on there at one point, and then they took them off because they're like, well, mushrooms are acidic, and the. Basic, the most of the foods on there are based off of the actual pH of the food. It's not actually based off of the metabolites, which is a huge, huge, huge error because most of the foods were categorized as actual tasting of acidity. So they took cranberries off the list. And I believe cherries were on there, but most of these foods, when you digest them, they have base precursors. So they alkalize in the body. So that was red flag. Number one, it's like, you're taking foods off of the list that are taste acidic, but they're not really acidic. That really didn't make sense to me. And then you didn't really have any hybrid quote unquote hybrid foods on there either. So a hybrid food is um, a fruit or a vegetable that has been created by combining two plant families together and then you're getting this new fruit or vegetable and so at the time people think or thought that cauliflower broccoli they were hybrids which they're not hybrids they come from the same wild mustard plant so you couldn't eat any cruciferous vegetables and then as I started learning, I'm like, they're some of the most nutrient dense vegetables we have. Why can't we have cruciferous vegetables? So it's a very restrictive diet. And people are like, I need to drink alkaline water too, because if I'm doing the alkaline diet, I need to do alkaline water. So what people don't understand is that you can't change your blood pH. Yes, incorporating a lot of fruits and vegetables into your diet, mostly plant-based, will help you in the long term, but it's not going to do anything for your blood pH. You know, that's highly regulated. And then when you look at where the alkaline diet actually came from or how it's calculated, it's not even calculated according to how the kidneys process things. So I don't know if you want to get into like the whole potential renal acid load, but that's like a whole big thing that goes into the alkaline diet that people just ignore.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: So the potential renal acid load is something that tells a doctor or a scientist, if you eat a food, how is it, how are the kidneys going to process it? Like how much acid is going to come out of this as a net result? And a lot of the foods that are left off of the alkaline list are actually good PRAL foods. So anything that's positive has like a high acidity load and anything that's negative has a low acidity load. So if you look at like the P-R-A-L charts, you're going to have a lot of proteins that are like really positive because protein accordingly is processed as an acid. And then all of the fruits and vegetables, they have a very low and negative P-R-A-L. But when you combine it to the alkaline chart, you had tart cherries that were good for you or figs or spinach that was good for you, but it was not on the alkaline list. So there was really no crosstalk between them. And I think that can be confusing as well because, you know, if you, if people are following the P-R-A-L charts, but they're also looking at the alkaline charts, it really doesn't make sense.
0: So it seems like the list of like foods that you're sort of allowed to eat is a bit arbitrary, number one. And yeah. it based off of a false premise which is that the foods that we're eating is going to change the pH of our blood they, which yeah. is not they leave back
1: some, they they say it's supposed to leave back some ash some alkaline ash and change the pH but if if the body allowed anything to change its pH like very if if we came in contact with anything and our pH changed just we would all be dead Boom, if it's too exactly. high, <laughs> if it's too high you're going to die <laughs> our body regulates
0: our ph like so well or in like like it's so like it it's on top of it it's like johnny yeah. on the spot so like the thought that you know eating a couple extra cherries oh my god i'm going to pitch my peat, my blood ph yeah. into like a dangerous zone like again it's like we have to i think you know i think what you said people are exhausted they're exhausted of hearing all the, all the different things and being like but what should i do and i think ultimately we have to come back to this idea of like, your body is resilient. You have to be mindful of what you eat. Absolutely. But like your body is resilient. It's not this like dirty thing that needs to be cleansed all of the time. It's not something, you know, like a, like a little leaf is, you know, like, isn't going to blow you over, you know, we (laughs) like, we're strong, capable beings. And I feel like sometimes some of these, these, these fads try to teach us something else. And I'm all for N equals one. Like I self experiment on myself all of the time and I'm all for validating somebody's lived experience. So if somebody's doing something like this, if they're like, Hey, I did a parasite cleanse and I feel a whole lot better. Awesome. Like do your thing, mommy. Like I'm not going to try to take that away from you or somebody's like eating one of these diets or food combining and feels great. That's amazing. But I just feel like when, when fads kind of spread like wildfire people feel like oh that's what i should be doing because everybody on tiktok is doing it like that's i think what, what you and i are trying to kind of unpack and be like do you really need to be doing this
1: most of the time it's not even sustainable and i think and and i honestly and i hate the way i feel sometimes when people are like well what should i eat they're always and i know you get this a lot too people are probably commenting or dming you and they're like Well, what should we eat? You know, should I eat this or should I do this? And honestly, you know, I'm pretty sure we're always like, you know, you have to do what works best for your body or do what you know to be good for you, but they don't know. (laughs) I know they've, they've heard so many things and they don't know what to believe, especially if you don't come from a background of science or nutrition to be able to break these things down and filter out what's true and what's not. It's like, what do I eat? You know, what do I do? And so it's so easily, we're so easily influenced by everyone on the internet when we see someone saying, I got results from doing this. It doesn't mean that you're gonna get those same results because Amy or John did this. That's what worked for them.
0: And, you know, I've been in the game for a minute and I fortunately or unfortunately have like seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And just because somebody is telling you Oh, (laughs) like doesn't mean that it's actually true. Hey, I healed my period by doing this or I healed that. Like you don't, you have no idea just because somebody wrote a book on it doesn't mean that they actually are doing that in real life.
1: You that's, you know what, that's one of the things with food combining that really got me to going off because a lot of the people that started preaching about food combining like if you start scrolling down their instagram pages they were not food combining and even when they're still preaching about food combining you can look at some of their meals and you can see that they're not even food combining i'm like you're literally combining a protein with fat did you just tell your followers that that was bad people aren't they're not doing what they're telling their followers to do. And it's not fair. You have people out here struggling to figure out what to eat, and what to do. And you're not even living by your own principles.
0: That, that is the thing that really gets me like so hardcore. You have to, before you can preach something, you have to practice it exactly. and just what worked for you. And I think that like, just really speaks to somebody's lack of experience is by saying, well, this worked for me, therefore it will work for everybody. You know, like that's it. Yeah. It, the more you work with actual human bodies, the more you have like a real understanding and reverence for the fact that not everybody responds the same to the same intervention. And I, exactly. you know, I hear you. I, I just, you know, did some, I post on intermittent fasting. I'll, I'll kind of chime in on that from time to time. Um, like what I see clinically And I could tell, um, you can just sometimes hear the discouragement in people's comments where they're like, I was doing this because I thought it was the right thing to do. And now Mm -hmm. I'm hearing maybe it's the not right thing. And I just, like, I just feel so confused and so hopeless. And that's one of my goals with this podcast is to, you know, you can only give so much information in an Instagram post or in like a 15 second video. So these conversations give us like more time to dive into the nuance in the context to allow people, you know, zero cost to consumer education so they can start to self-experiment. And I hope that, you know, these conversations help people feel less confused um, rather than more confused.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: but we have to be so mindful of where we get our information to.
1: I agree. I agree because even like with the videos that I make and the posts that I make, people don't believe me because they're like, well, you know, there are so many people that are telling me that this food combining thing is real, that the alkaline diet and alkaline water is real. Like, you know, why should I believe you? And I'm like, I'm the one sitting here providing you the actual proof, but they don't provide anything And that's the other thing is this fear of the white man's paperwork it's like we don't want to look at white people's paperwork, and I hear this so much and i'm like it's not about race at this point it's literally about what's been tested clinically they're like well those papers are funded by the government they're funded by and I think that's another thing people are always wanting something to be bad that they don't want to actually look at the evidence they're like well you you look at PubMed and I'm like well what do you look at
0: (laughs) (laughs) so look at Google
1: this is interesting
0: because the, I don't think I hear this side of the coin. I don't think I hear like there's I, in my, like where I, I would say in my world, like PubMed articles, like people are looking for that validation. People are looking for that like evidenced backed. like, sometimes I'm like, I, that's how, like, if I'm going to say something, I got to come with receipts because yeah. people are going to say like, where'd you get this information? They're looking for those white papers.
1: Yeah. Not, not in the not in the the little places that I'm at, because (laughs) every time I post a video on TikTok, they're like, well, this was done by white people. And I'm like, it's this distrust in the system. I get it. At the same time, we have moved so much past that. Like, like our clinical trials are more diverse. The people who are hosting these clinical trials are more diverse. And it's real evidence. Like, you cannot refute that at this point. Now, I had a professor that told me at one point, 90% of the stuff that you do in medicine is going to be off lived experiences and 10% of it is going to be from paper. And that is so true because I've shadowed in a hospital and I've shadowed in a clinic. And a lot of the things that you see, you will not see on a clinical trial which a lot of people don't get that either. It's like, well, I'm telling you these actual experiences from real life. I don't have the paperwork to show you that, but I do know it clinically. And they're like, well, you don't have no proof. It's anecdotal. You're like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You come with the (laughs) white papers.
0: They're like, we don't want it. You come with the anecdotes. They're like, we don't want it. (laughs) But that, I mean, you couldn't have said any, like that is so important for people to hear. And I feel like that's such a big takeaway is that, you know, just yesterday a a doctor was like, but the data says this. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. And I think we should bring the data into the conversation, but you have to understand that we have to then run this data through actual living human beings. And that's where we can derive our own kind of clinical data or you know, exactly. our own, like it, it's through like, how does this data actually, you can tell me all day long that intermittent fasting is great. Look at, I read all the reports. I get it. And also my women are struggling. They're skipping breakfast and their hormones are struggling. They're flatlined. Their A1C is going crazy. Like it's not, it ain't good. So like I get the data. I understand the research. We also have, that's the 10%, like the 90% is like actually doing this. And so if we're struggling with who do we like listen to on the worldwide web, listen to the people that have experience working with human bodies, like mm-hmm. that is the place to start. Listen to what they're telling you. Everything I'm telling you is coming from like working with people for over a decade. I'm not just exactly. making shit up. Like I'm exactly. really trying to like help people based on what I'm learning in private practice.
1: Yeah. and. It- it's not even the doctors that don't get that or the scientists that don't get that a lot of people ignore what people are telling us about their bodies it's like if someone comes and we see this a lot on tv shows but it actually happens in real life too it's like doctors do not believe what people are telling them about their bodies and that I believe is what hinders us from knowing a lot of things that we should actually know if you see it clinically you're not most of the time 90% of the time, it's not gonna be shown on the white paper. And so now I think that is the gray area with a lot of these cleanses we're talking about, like the parasite cleansing and the the food combining. If you go and tell someone, well, you know, there's no actual clinical evidence that show what you're talking about, about food combining or parasite cleansing, they're like, well, that's because they want people to stay sick. You know, there's not gonna be any papers on this. Because they want people to stay sick. And I'm like, well, have you seen it clinically? And obviously not, because you're just some random person that's been doing this stuff at home. You don't even work in a clinic. It's like, you haven't even seen it clinically. And then so now you're at this crossroad, crossroads with them where they're constantly promoting these things. And you have so many people believing them. Like, I don't know if you've actually looked at these pages that are promoting these things, but they have tons of followers. And it's really hard to convince these people that follow them that what they're being taught is incorrect. But like many people, and I'm pretty sure like yourself, you have to learn by yourself down the road and probably after you damaged yourself.
0: You know, to be honest with you, like if somebody had been like, Hey, eating 30 bananas a day is probably not a great idea. I would have been like,
1: yeah, I'm going to do it anyway,
0: But there's this like tribalism, you know, like one of my mentors always says, like, we look to people that have the most influence, the most followers and we give them the power versus the people with like the experience that can maybe talk about like context and nuance. And it's not so like, you know, you talk about this a lot with like carnivore diets or vegan diets. People are like, go hard, go hard, go hard. You're doing it wrong. Go harder. And it's like, who are you be giving advice to anybody?
1: And to tell me that I did it wrong. Like I see so many people that come off of the vegan diet. And now that like I'm in this field of genetics, like seeing how certain people respond to different diets based off of their genes their single nucleotide polymorphisms. I'm like, goodness gracious, why are we promoting one diet? Like if you want to be carnivore, good. If you want to be vegan, good. Keto, paleo, Mediterranean, vegetarian, do it. But you should not be preaching diet dogma like it's the end-all, be-all. Like, I've seen people, their teeth starts decaying when they go, go vegan, even if they are doing it correctly. That's not the diet for them. And that's what people don't understand. They're looking at these things from the outside in, and they're like, okay, we have to save the animals. Save yourself. <laughs> save yourself first. <laughs> You're dying. <laughs>
0: Oh man. I've definitely tucked into that before on the podcast before. And I'm, I'm right, right there with you. Totally. Well, we're coming up on the hour. I don't want to chew up too much of your time. I super appreciate this conversation. I want people to go to your page so they can learn a lot more. So we will link it up in the show notes, but for those listening, can you just tell people where to find more of you?
1: Yeah. So my Instagram is natural underscore Natasha and Natasha is N A T O S H A.
0: Awesome. My TikTok thank is you.
1: the same. Yeah. My TikTok is the same. Oh, TikTok. Yeah. I get it. I I have to get on. I, we'll, you we'll have link to get your t- I will do enjoying, it. Enjoying the people that's like getting rid of the misinformation. It's so many of us on there.
0: Okay. You just encouraged me. That's like a sign. I'm going to do it. So yeah, we'll link up to your TikTok as well. So people can find you there, but thank you so much. This was such a great conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. Bye, bye,
0: bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.